if I can have your attention, we will get started here, kind of a, kind of a soft start uh, here to the, the presentation, a rolling start. Um, uh, thank you for taking the time uh, to join us this evening to, to hear about our, our update uh, for Imagine Madison, the, the comp plan update. Uh, we will do this, um, this update, these updates at the end of each phase. Uh, I want to, uh, first of all, uh, I'm, I'm Brian Grady with the City's Planning Division. I'm the project manager for the comp plan update. Uh, joined uh, here by a few planning division staff, um, Kirsty Lotch, Savannah Ernzen, and Ben Zellers will be making the will make the presentation tonight. We'll also have uh, uh, a guest, uh, Eric Upchurch, one of our uh, resident panel coordinators uh, with Young Gibson Black. He'll be coming here later and providing some feedback on on their experience of the resident panel aspect of this program. Uh, we also have um, uh, Anna. Arima, her, help me out with your name. Ana Ariano Jimenez, I'm sorry, she's been out of office for the last few days, but Ana is one of our Aspire interns um, from the summer. We had two Aspire interns and also one of Fulmore intern. And Ana even convinced uh, two of her roommates to join the meeting tonight to learn more about the city process. So we appreciate that. Um, <laughs> um, and so uh, I want to mention we have a couple of handouts um, in front of you that I may not have, but uh, you have a time lot. You have um, a timeline here, the, the four phases. Uh, we're just wrapping up phase two here to kind of help uh, give a big picture here. And then also um, uh, a feedback summary from all the different strategies that Savannah will cover here in just a moment. So you have a couple of handouts that uh, feel free to reference those. Um, but with that, I will turn it over to Kirsty to start this off. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Brian. So to start the presentation, we're just going to quickly move through some of the methods that we use to gather feedback in this um, phase of the process. Um, hopefully I don't talk too fast, but we have a lot to cover um, before I turn it over to the rest of my colleagues. Um, so we're in phase two of the project. We started off in phase one, um, looking at the, the higher level goals, revising those goals based on feedback from the community. And then in phase two, which we're going to talk about mostly tonight, um, we proposed some draft strategies to reach those goals, um, got lots of feedback from the community, and are now working to revise the strategies as we move forward. Um, the other part of this phase has been focused on the future land use map and receiving comments from the public about changes to the map. Um, so we'll spend a little bit of time discussing that as well tonight. In phase three, which will start this fall, um, we will talk about prioritizing all the different strategies. We want to have this be um, a prioritized action plan, so it's not just a long list. We want it to be concise um, and prioritized. And the second thing that we'll do in phase three um, is prioritize where growth should occur and even when it should occur. So we'll talk really quickly about um, a preview of phase three towards the end here. And then in phase four, which will start in the spring, um, we'll be going through the review and uh, adoption process um, and planning to adopt the plan uh, in early summer of 2018. So as you can see overall, um, we've interacted with about 10,000 people so far at this project. Um, all these different ways and methods and techniques that we've used, I'm just going to quickly cover a few of them um, as we get started here. But you can find more information on our website if you want to get more information about any of these things. Um, but in total, about 10,000 um, interactions with the community. 
the first uh, major method that we used was um, having larger community meetings. Um, so we had four of these in this phase. At these meetings, um, we had interactive activities where attendees were presented with a draft list of the, uh, the strategies um, broken down by the six themes that are in the plan. Um, and they could place stickers on the strategies that they supported and uh, propose brand new ideas if there was something that we were missing or if they had other comments on the draft strategies. Um, so we had those meetings um, at the end of April, and they were at the Central Library downtown, the North Side Warner Park, at La Follette, and uh, Cherokee Heights Middle School. The other part of this process that's been a huge aspect is being able to do all the same things on our website as you could do at the meetings. So you can see here that we had a web module that allowed for people to see all those draft strategies, see what other people are saying, like them, or give them a thumbs up if they supported them, and add brand new ones and see, see what everybody else was talking about. So you can do the exact same things on the website as you could at the community meetings in case you couldn't attend. Um, the third major piece of the public engagement um, part in phase two was the resident panels. Um, so just a quick refresher. Um, they did the same exact activities as you could do online or at the community meetings. And it's something that we're doing for the first time through this process. Um, they are essentially focus groups um, made up of people from underrepresented communities, um, African Americans, Latinos, the Hmong community, um, older adults, transgender and, and gender nonconforming um, individuals, and um, did I say lower income residents if I missed that? Um, so they're made up of these, these different underrepresented groups that we don't often hear from as we, we were trying to proactively reach out to them um, so they could provide this important feedback to us through this process. Um, and we provide them with the materials, um, give them a little bit of training, and then they have their meetings without city staff. Um, so that they don't have to worry about saying things in front of staff. They could candidly go ahead and provide the feedback that they felt was important for, you know, for this phase of the project. Um, couple more images here. We actually have, hopefully we will be having a, a brief um, update from one of the resident panel facilitators, Eric Upchurch, as Brian mentioned. He'll be stopping in in just a little bit so he can explain a little bit more about what the process has been like um, and talk about the things that we've been working on and how we can improve it. Um, finally, the, the last thing that I just wanted to really qu quickly talk about is um, the outreach that we did over the summer. So we um, went to 20 different events and festivals across the city this summer. Um, I talked to roughly 700 different people as an estimate. Um, tried to get involved with people that haven't heard, heard about Imagine Madison before and, and get their feedback. Um, and we went across the city to try to get a different geographic coverage and go to different diverse events. So we went to things like um, Dane Dances, El Mercadito um, with Centro Hispano. Um, Hamas Progress Expo, different farmers markets, all sorts of different events and festivals. And we asked people what change, big or small, would have a positive impact on Madison. And they would write it down on whiteboards. Um, and then we'd take a Polaroid picture so they could see what other people were saying. Um, and it was really fun, honestly. It was great. And we had a lot of help from our interns and other, other volunteers throughout the summer. So it was a lot of fun. Um, you can see just a couple examples here. Um, and then finally, based on some feedback from the resident panels and the resident panel facilitators, we held 
um, another event on August 15th. Um, it was a special event that we, we pulled together to um, uh, sort of respond to some of the feedback from the resident panels who wanted to not only have groups with, not only have discussions with their own individual groups, but they wanted to have all the different groups come together and share ideas um, about all these different topics. And the discussion topics, they, they were small discussion tables, and all the discussion topics were selected by the people who attended. Um, and it was, we did extensive outreach to get a diverse crowd there, and uh, we also had a, an artist activity and tried to remove different barriers like uh, we provided food, we had childcare, interpreters, um, we provided some incentives, some gift cards to cover the cost of transportation. Um, and you can find the summary of, of that specific feedback on our website as well. Um, so that's all of the sort of background information about the methods that we use to actually gather feedback on the draft strategies. Um, so I'm going to hand it over now to Savannah who will go through the actual summary of the feedback we heard. Okay, again, so I'm Savannah Ernst and a planner, and it's really nice to meet you all. And I'd like to share with you some of the results that we received from all the community engagement that Kirsty just mentioned. Um, this is a brief summary, so it's only going to be a couple points, but as Brian mentioned, you have your strategy summaries there, and I encourage you to read through them and see all the comments, and then I'll provide more information about how to see the raw comments later as well. So this is just a brief overview. So um, regarding form and connectivity, so this is transportation and the design of the city, there are two main things that came up. Again, much more than this, but a couple things to highlight. One is public tra transit. People asked for a greater need for connectivity on the outer re um, regions of the city. So they felt that near downtown or around downtown is pretty, um, there's a lot of bus service, it's pretty easy to get around, frequent stops. But once you get to the further edges, really long commute times, long transfer times, it can be very difficult. People also wanted um, more transportation regionally, so to reach places like Minneapolis, Chicago, um, and, and more communities. Expanded hours of operation was suggested. Again, talking about these people who live on the farther out um, edges of the city, they would like for the bus service to be available later in the evening, so that um, not just in the outer edge of the city, but really anywhere in the city for people who are working hours that aren't nine to five, but have later hours um, of working, that they can still take the bus and not have an hour long commute or have long transportation or um, transfer times in between. There is a large amount of negative feedback to strategy number 10. Number 10 is maintain downtown Madison as a government center in the, for the state and primary activity center for the region. So people felt that the downtown already, what we interpreted was that the downtown, their feedback was that the downtown already has a lot of investment in it. There's a lot of things happening, but these other areas on the outer skirts of the town have less investment, have less things going on and activities to do. Um, so they weren't a very um, excited or didn't really like the strategy because they felt that it did not address those issues on the outer edges and put more investment where it already exists. Moving on to neighborhoods and housing. Affordable housing was probably the most talked, of, talked about topic throughout every, um, every theme that we had. It came up in economic development and transportation and, and culture and character everywhere. The need for, um, an urgent need for affordable housing throughout the community. And we talk about affordable housing, we're not just saying subsidized housing, although that's part of it. We mean housing in general that is affordable and um, for everyone's income, for a percentage of their income. 
A quote, I'd like to share some quotes throughout this um, presentation. It's, affordable housing is a great and abiding concern for participants who are diverse in age, education, and income, but who all share a similar concern about the rising cost of decent housing. So really saying that it affects everybody, um, not just not just a certain group. And then also that affordable housing needs to be in areas that have transportation, amenities, and grocery stores. So there's going to be affordable housing. We don't want it on the outskirts necessarily where nothing else is around. It can be on the outskirts, but we want to have the amenities with the housing. It's not just a standalone item. So there was a lot of back and forth or disagreement in comments about the need for density in the city. Many people thought that increased density was important for to create more housing, which in turn increases the supply of housing and creates lower housing costs compared to the demand if, that, if the supply is higher than the demand. Other people who live in neighborhoods showed some pushback to having higher density because they liked the, the way that it was and they don't want to have more um, high-rise developments near the community or their area that they already really enjoy. So we heard that a lot throughout the entire process. A couple of quotes regarding that is, in order to build enough housing, neighborhood plans that were written by incumbent well-to-do homeowners have to be ignored. They were written to protect existing home val values, not a problem today. Another comment that's a little contradicting that is, above all, the city's committee should respect the wishes of neighborhoods and the planning processes and not simply roll over them like an armored vehicle. Begin and end with neighborhoods, not committees. Yeah. Um, so these were comments that came up, even though it wasn't necessarily a, an existing strategy that was there. Um, these were comments that came up on their own by community members. So we, we received many comments that weren't necessarily related to the strategies at hand that were presented. And they've been incorporated now into the plan moving forward. Okay. So moving on to economy and opportunity. There was a, a lot of discussion about needing support for small businesses and entrepreneurs, including financial literacy, technical assistance, understanding development processes, and more. And a really um, great quote about zoning related to that it said, many of the participants shared that they had purchased property as investment opportunities. However, they never knew about zoning and the comprehensive plan. They, they didn't know that, that they invested in a property that could never become a storefront or business because it was zoned residential. So you see that's a pretty big problem if somebody spent the time to actually invest in that property. There's another one is there's no help and guidance about paying taxes for small businesses. Filing the tax form is very complicated and there are no trained staff. Um, some organizations give the false hope of helping. It's a very high price without any positive results. So again, these are just a couple comments about needing help or assistance, guidance, education to develop their business and succeed. Um, again, relating to economy opportunity is closing the educational achievement gap, talking about needing financial resources to attend certain schools or financial um, like scholarships and things like that. And also hiring more diverse educators and administrators in schools was provided an idea of how to close the educational achievement gap with the idea that if students see people that are like them, that they can relate to, then they would feel more comfortable there and be able to succeed potentially more. Those are a couple ideas. Okay, for culture and character, maintaining the quality of the lakes and improving accessibility to the lakes came up a lot in, in culture and character. It came up a lot throughout the entire planning process. This is another really common topic. When we talk about accessibility to the lakes, there's a couple facets to that, or many facets, one of which is that there's actual land and parkland available next to the lakes that people can go and sit. But it's also that they can use the lakes in the ways that they wish to use the lakes, like being able to swim 
in the lakes or do other activities. And many people felt that right now the lakes are not comfortable to be swimming in. They didn't feel safe or they didn't think it was a very comfortable yet place. So that's what we talk about when we um, talk about the accessibility. And then regarding the needing culturally specific programming and facilities, including spaces for traditions, this included having cultural centers, having exhibits and museums devoted to a particular culture to celebrate that culture and share information about that. It could also be a section in a library that was specifically information about that culture. And then going on about traditions, we found that some community members don't have the resources they need to fully celebrate traditions that they would like to celebrate. For instance, the Hmong community expressed that they don't have a place to have their four-day funeral rites ceremony. So they have funeral rites um, rituals, I mean, from Friday through Monday. So it's really difficult for them to find a funeral home that will accommodate that. So these are some of the changes or ideas that, that could be in place to make people feel more comfortable and be able to live fully um, the life that they would like for their, for their culture. Okay, and then for greener resilience, a big topic again was preserving and expanding the urban tree canopy. So these are the trees in public facilities, private lawns, and throughout the entire community along the streets. And that's maintaining that idea that um, birds or whatnot can go from tree to tree, or the community when they walk through, they just constantly see trees and this um, landscape throughout the entire community. So people wanted to encourage that, keep trees that exist, and then have programs to increase the amount of trees in the community as well. And then ensuring equal investment in park maintenance and amenities came up often. People felt that some parks had a lot of amenities, like say downtown or, or nearby, and some of these wealthier neighborhoods have parks or have playgrounds and sports fields. But when you get out to further areas or maybe more low-income neighborhoods, they don't have nearly as many amenities. It may just be an open grass field, for, exa for example, instead of having some of this. So they thought that when um, – that investment in parks need to be equal throughout that to ensure that that isn't the case. Along with that, there were comments about wanting sports facilities that were um, that had culturally diverse sports facilities. So, uh, for instance, a lot of parks may have volleyball courts or basketball courts, but the Monk community asked for a courts for to play Tulu, which is a traditional sport that they play. It's a top spinning game. And there are other cultures that have games as well that could be accommodated in the parks to have spaces for them to do so. As an overarching note for green resilience, we heard from the resident panels that in general this topic was not a uh, top priority because they felt that there were more pressing issues and the things that were being discussed in green resilience in their life. And they actually, there was some concern that by investing in these strategies and green resiliency, you'd actually be taking away resources that they believe should be going to other things like economic development and housing that were more critical to their well-being and success in the community. All right, and then the last one is services and facilities. Largely, uh, my main point was needing greater accessibility to government facilities and government programs. So, uh, for instance, one example is hours of operation. They felt that centers or community, or oh, sorry, um, government buildings had hours of operation that were not convenient for people to get the services they need or fill out the forms that they need. That a great quote is, people should not have to leave their jobs in the middle of the day and or feel their job security is threatened in order to secure these necessary services. So they were wondering about opportunities to keep some places open later, um, the days like say every Tuesday, stayed open until 8 or something like that around the weekends. Also talked about the inconvenience of committee and council meeting times. They would like um, 
that they, the times change and, and vary more often so that somebody can access them easier. They were saying that if they get done, say, at 4 o'clock or 5 o'clock at night and they need to do their errands, like pick up their children or do other things, it can be difficult to come to the meetings um, in time to be able to participate. And then relating more to accessibility is accessibility to the information on what's being discussed at these meetings. So people would like to know what, what is going to happen at this meeting, what information do I need to research or be prepared for so that I can come and I can participate and provide my opinion, what decisions are being made and how can I influence these decisions or how will these decisions impact me, all those sort of things um, would like a greater access to that sort of information. And then um, there's a lot of discussion about expanding the public Wi-Fi system. People thought that it was great on the locations that do have public Wi-Fi and they were used frequently, but just would like to see it more often. For instance, maybe in more parks, um, was an example, or in certain areas downtown to have free public Wi-Fi. And that is the overall I, um, summary. Again, it's a super brief considering how many comments that we had. So you do have your strategy summaries. And then also on our website, the Imagine Madison website, we have a page of what we heard from phase two. And this will give you every comment in its raw format from this process, which are really interesting to read. I pulled out a few, but it really puts the point a lot more, um, it makes the point much more relatable when you actually can read it verbatim from the community. So I encourage you to do that. All right, I'm going to pass it on to Ben to move on. Thanks, Savannah. Um, we also, in addition to getting comments back um, and suggestions back on strategies, uh, sought comments and suggestions, recommendations, and feedback from the public on the future land use map. Uh, this is the future land use map from 2006, which many of you have probably seen. Um, and we, of course, are updating this alongside the strategies as well. Um, one of the biggest things that we are undertaking as part of this update is revising the residential future land use categories. And we can see on the left the uh, 2006 categories. Uh, we have three residential categories under the 2006 comprehensive plan, densities uh, topping out at 60 dwelling units an acre, um, which really is um, maybe a three-story apartment building um, in an urban area. So our current density measurements don't really address urban development in residential uh, categories. So we wanted to expand the, those categories, um, especially on the, the top end, to allow for the urban densities that we're seeing in a lot of projects within the city. Um, and then also add in, um, in addition to density considerations, also add in height considerations to try to get it get at the form of the buildings, um, which a lot of people find a lot more un understandable than simply dwelling unit per acre measurements. And then we added a fourth residential category, the low-medium residential uh, category, which is, um, I'm looking for the pointer, I guess not, uh, the second from the bottom there to try to address um, kind of the missing middle housing, housing so to speak. Uh, this is something that um, has been discussed in a variety of city committees, try to fill in that housing gap in between single family and the more dense um, multifamily development that we've seen in the city. Um, and then we also are trying to associate building form, which is currently available in the zoning code with these uh, four residential categories. Um, we have a chart here uh, showing that, um, and this is also available in some of the materials that are on our website. 
Um, so it's easier for people to understand what the four uh, residential categories mean as far as what types of buildings can go into those categories. So once again, trying to maybe de-emphasize density, dwelling units per acre, uh, density measurement, um, and emphasize the form of the building um, more with the categories. Um, so we had a variety of ways for people to be able to offer their feedback and comments on future land use mapping. Um, one of the popular measures was uh, through the website where we had kind of a side-by-side -side, um, mapping comparison, 2006 future land use map versus uh, the 2017 uh, draft land use map. You could really zoom in pretty close to see a side-by-side -side comparison, see if there were any changes um, in whatever area you were interested in. We also have mapped all of the comments that we've received. Um, you can kind of see this is a map of a uh, community meeting comments where people were commenting on the future land use map. Actually, a lot of comments that we've mapped here didn't necessarily have a direct relationship to the future land use map, but um, still came about as part of this, this process, and so we, we have them on the map. Overall, for public feedback, we had over 700 comments from the public meetings, uh, the website, the resident panels, and emails on the future land use map. Um, all those comments were reviewed by staff recommendations on how to address those comments were put in front of the plan commission um, as to whether we should maintain the, the map as it had been drafted to change the map or just to discuss the comment in general. Um, obviously don't have a lot of time here tonight, but uh, just briefly cover the two biggest comments uh, that we got on the future land use map. One of those was on the Park Street corridor. Um, you can see on the left the initial draft future land use. On the right, our revised draft. Um, so a big comment we got was to kind of lessen the proposed uh, mixed-use category that is on the east side of Park Street. So we revised that from the community mixed-use and regional mixed-use that have been shown um, to uh, neighborhood mixed-use along the west side of Park Street. Um, and then also um, dialed back a little bit the proposed density in between park and Beld um, from regional mixed use to community mixed use. Um, and we think that this responds to a number of the, the public comments that we've gotten along this corridor while still allowing for some uh, development and redevelopment along Park Street. And we also heard uh, about a number of comments in the Greenbush Vilas area. Um, you can see in the upper left the initial draft um, mapping low-medium residential for much of that area, um, and then the lower right, our current draft, um, revising that to um, low residential for uh, some of that neighborhood. Um, and Savannah had mentioned this uh, previously, but uh, one of the inherent challenges in addressing uh, future land use map concerns is dealing with um, some of the disparate comments that we get back from the public. Uh, this is an example of um, some feedback we got on Monroe Street. Um, one person saying, stop what's happening on Monroe Street. Um, there were wonderful neighborhoods, um, but they don't like to see the redevelopment that has been going on along Monroe Street. And then another comment uh, saying that there should be more medium-use residential housing on Monroe Street as restaurants go in and there are also good bus transportation options. So these are really, um, you know, a number of these comments we get are contradictory, so obviously we can't address everyone's concerns as part of this process. Um, 
But what we will be doing as part of the th phase three plan um, is trying to get just the general community feedback in terms of the direction of where we should prioritize growth in the city. So it, we'll try to uh, get at some of those uh, potential conflicts in between redevelopment and growth in the periphery. Um, so we'll have an exercise available on the, on the city's website for that. We'll be using some metrics uh, and projected results that we'll be garnering from our urban footprint uh, growth scenario modeling tool that many of you may have heard about in various uh, committees and commissions. And we'll also on the website have strategy prioritization um, so people will be able to prioritize strategies as part of the phase three um, interaction. And people will be able to offer both of those types of feedbacks in terms of growth prioritization and strategy prioritization at our phase three community meetings, which will be coming up towards the end of October. Um, we have three scheduled, Village on Park on October 23rd, Goodman Community Center October 25th, and then 26th at uh, Lucier Community uh, Education Center by Memorial High School. So um, with that, uh, I don't know if our President panel person is yeah. available. Okay. So, um, what, what time do we have to end this by? Ask the same, same question the last briefing we gave last quarter. Right now? Um, so, we were, we were hoping that uh, Eric Upchurch, uh, the coordinator, would be here. And, and now I hear that he's here behind me. So, um, <laughs> Eric and uh, this little guy, I think it's Messiah, who's hit one of our meetings, are here. Uh, for a few minutes to discuss his, his experience with the resident panels. Cool, cool, appreciate it. Hello, everybody. This is my baby boy, Messiah. Uh, we're a little, we're a little early. Forgive us. Um, so um, I'm going to pull up a couple of notes here from our panels, um, just to give you a setting, a little bit of background. We, as resident panels, gathered to figure out what was going on here with the process and what we needed in, act in order to be accountable to our communities that we were engaging. And we got a lot of common feedback. And so a group of us got together um, to talk about what some of those common themes and concerns were and what some of those priorities were. And I'm gonna try to be as brief as possible in sharing that with you here today. One quick second here. So looking at common themes, uh, a number of different common themes. One was education and translation. So a lot of folks, no, that's not, that's not a toy, baby. Um, oh, thank you, cool. Um, good, good, so our group put together this. Uh, there is way too much here for me to get to um, but I'm going to try to summarize it, and I'm looking for where we started. So one of the biggest issues was um, education. Um, folks saw that there was a barrier in between city terminology and what folks on the ground having real life experiences actually understood. There were also major gaps in 
how folks saw the process applying to their day-to-day -day needs. So when we rolled out that, that land use map, people were like, how does this help me get what I need? They, there, there wasn't that level of understanding there. Um, also, there was a lot of concern around accountability and, and transparency of the use of data. Folks felt like their voice was just kind of being engaged in order to check a box, um, and they did not see how their input in that session would translate into actual changes being made in the city's plan. And even if it did get into the city's plan, they didn't understand or, or believe, for that matter, how it being in the city's plan would actually translate into their needs being met. So a lot of, I don't want to say distrust, but I'll, I'll say doubt in the process itself. And I think that that came uh, largely from not understanding how this whole thing works. And so our group thought that, uh, our group of panel leaders thought that we would benefit from some level of training in to, to demystify this process and to clarify how decisions are actually being made. Uh, along with accountability and actually getting input into the city's plan, there was this very major concern of how that input was being translated by people who are interpreting this plan and actually putting the pen to paper here. So our group, um, leaning on the, the advice of our communities that we were engaging, decided that it was imperative if this uh, initiative is to be successful, it's imperative that we have folks that are on the ground living the life actually a part of that drafting process and walking with this plan as it's becoming a real thing and, and being implemented. Uh, one of the other pieces that came up was how, what the plans were from taking the plan and making it uh, a, a reality. So if there was a line item that said, um, I don't know, we need uh, better transportation and there were some potential avenues to reach that goal, what is the mechanism for making it a reality and how does community either hold the city accountable or participate in making that thing a reality? Understanding that there's no way for you all to know the intricacies of every individual life in Madison, we also discovered that it's important for us as the community to not only be supported by the city, but supported by ourselves. And so figuring out ways that we can gather together and build agency in different committees in local government. And so understanding how decisions are made, how we can participate in those in those uh, meetings, in those decision-making processes, and also how we can organize community resources within and amongst ourselves to do some of the things that the city might be slow to do. Um, all of this in the spirit of understanding that we're engaging people who are putting their confidence in us and thinking that if I talk to this person who's a quote-unquote leader in my community, somehow my needs will get closer to being met. And what we've discovered and what so many have felt is that that actually hasn't happened. And their voice has been engaged and also ignored, which is not only disrespectful, but disheartening. And there's no reason, there's no wonder why we see that they're jaded. Messiah agrees. So, 
So all that to say, um, our group decided that it was critical for a community to have real live input and and say so in the drafting of this plan and the implementation of this plan, and also that the city supports community organizing to meet some of its own needs that are coming up as well. Hope I did that justice. Cool. Thank you. Yeah, thank you again for taking time to uh, hear a presentation, and we'll follow up on Eric's comments. We've been working uh, with him and other resident panel coordinators to follow up on those ideas and how we can best incorporate them into our work going forward. Thank you all. Have a great night.